Well, good morning, good morning. As David said, I'm a volunteer with ICTSOS. Um, my day job is I'm an independent insurance agent. And so uh, Chad's actually asked me to talk to you guys about risk mitigation and avoiding a long-term catastrophic loss. So, no. <laughs> There's, there's, there's one of you who looks a little disappointed right now because your life is organized by spreadsheets and you just love those kind of conversations. But that's not actually what we're going to talk about this morning. We are going to talk about kind of what it means to live uh, through some principles that we see in, in this book of Ephesians. And this, for me, is one of those themes that if I'm given a chance to talk about, I'm going to talk about it, huh? because I think it's that important. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, whether you just showed up this morning, uh, I think the, the ideas that we're going to talk about today, there's two of them in particular, that when you put them together could change the way you view this body of people, but ultimately change the way you see yourself and your relationship to the world. I think it's that powerful of a principle, that powerful of an idea. So um, again, I'm, I'm an insurance agent here in town. I've been married. I've got three kids. And one of the hardest parts about having kids is naming them. Um, I don't know if that was hard for you, but it was hard in our family to come to an agreement um, when my daughter Megan was born, that was pretty straightforward, except for she was briefly uh, a different name because we had decided something else and ultimately changed our minds. Uh, our daughter Zoe, on the other hand, was a much harder name. Um, my wife and I just couldn't agree. I really wanted to name her Perpetua. Uh, and my daughter, and, you're, and those of you whose eyes just got real big around, uh, my, my wife said, you can't, we can't call her Perpetua because then people call her Pert. And we can't just have that, we can't have a little pert running around the house. And I was like, ah, oh, fine. And so I gave in. But our son, that was tricky. So I'm TJ, I'm a Thomas J. I'm actually, my dad's a Thomas J. My grandpa's a Thomas J. My great-grandpa's a Thomas J. My great-great-grandpa is a Thomas J. And so he had to be a Thomas J. And it had to be from the Bible. And there's just not that many J's in the Bible. There's just not that many that come up. And when you look at church history, there's not that many J's. It's pretty much John's all the way through. And so we really struggled with what to name him. We really had a hard time coming up with it. We looked at Jehoiakim and decided that was probably a little too much. Um, and I really settled on Januarius. That... I thought that was a great name. He's going to be born in January. Januarius is this early church martyr. I thought, baby, this is going to be perfect. And she said no. She didn't like it. She thought it was a bad idea to have a son running around named Jan. But I thought it was perfect. And so when we were wrestling with this, we were uh, talking with some friends, and I shared. I said, you know, we don't really know what we're going to do. And she said, well, what other names do you think of? I said, well, I've also thought about Jethro. And she went, no, you can't do Jethro. The Beverly Hillbillies, you can't do Jethro. And I was like, all right, I'm here to eat. So, and the other name we're thinking about is we're thinking about Jedediah. And she goes, oh, that's perfect. Like, but he was the main character in the Beverly Hillbillies. It's Jedediah Clampett is the main character. What is, how is Jethro not okay because of the Beverly Hillbillies? But Jed's is okay. But there's something about the name Jed that just seems more reasonable. It just seems less mountainy. I'm from Kentucky, and so the name Jethro seems perfect to me. But to folks in the Midwest, it just seems a little too redneck. Because names, they carry this kind of power. They carry this, um, this ability. And what's crazy is when you name your child, nobody ever looks at a baby 
and says, oh, oh, what's their name? What's their name? And you'll say, this is, this is Stephen. Oh, he looks like a Stephen. This is Danielle. She looks like a Danielle. Nobody ever says, oh, you picked the wrong name. That's clearly <laughs> not who this baby is. Because the name seems to fit. The name seems to fit. And the name helps us identify who we are. It helps us to know where we sit. Our name is an important part of our identity. It's an important part of who we are. To know somebody's name is to know them, to know part of their story. Um, I have a really good friend. I just got to have lunch with him a couple weeks ago. His name is Winbai Muntanono. I don't know if you can tell, Winbai is from Zimbabwe. That's where he was born. He grew up in Harare in the capital. Um, it took me a very, very long time to figure out how to pronounce his last name correctly because I'm from Kentucky and we didn't learn phonics growing up. And so it was a real challenge. But part of knowing Wimbai, part of understanding his story is to know his name. And we all have names that we've been given. Sometimes they're nicknames that we get to carry. I had a friend um, when I was growing up, his dad constantly called me Toehead, which I thought was because I smelled bad. Smelled like toes. Uh, turns out its toe is, is this string. It's a fabric. It's this blonde colored like jute. And I had really blonde hair as a kid. But for the longest time, I thought his dad was making fun of me. I didn't realize that he was making a joke about my blonde hair. And we carry those names with us sometimes. And we can carry them with us for a long time. And we can think, oh, well, it's no big deal. It's just a name. We can even echo Juliet's statement, a rose by any other name is just as sweet. But it's not. It's absolutely not. They've done tons of research on this. It is not. That if you call a rose something like mold, it doesn't smell as good. If you call it a name that even sounds adjacent to that, something that sounds negative, it evokes a negative image to us. It helps us to see there's a ton of research uh, that bears this out. So knowing our name matters. Knowing where we sit matters. And so what I want you to do is I want you to turn to your neighbor really quick and I want you to tell them one nickname. Keep it clean. One nickname from when you were a kid. So turn to your neighbor, tell them one nickname from when you were a kid. So, so my kids' nicknames uh, that they get to carry with them, uh, my son, we call him Jedi. My daughter, Zoe, we call her Zobear. And my daughter, Meg, told us recently that we were to call her Little Milky. <laughs> because uh, she's going to go into hip-hop. She's four, but that's her long-term plan, I think. And she's going to be Little Milky. So... These names that we carry, they matter to us. Uh, they matter to who we are. They help to identify part of, our, our, part of what we're about. Uh, the problem is that some of the names that we can get saddled with, some of the names that we can carry into adulthood, some of the names that we even inherit as adults stick with us for a long time. They can stick with us and become part of our identity in some ways that are really hard to shake. I talked with a friend one time. He'd finally quit smoking. He'd tried for years and years and years. Um, he would quit, and then he would get six months, eight months, a year down the road, and he'd be like, well, I can have one now. 
It's fine. It'll be fine. I can just have one cigarette. It's no big deal. And there he would be buying a pack and two and three. And I asked him once he'd been uh, clean for two years. I said, so do you, do you still think about it? He said, every day, every day, I still think about it. He said, I still think of myself as a smoker. I still think of myself as a smoker. And sometimes it's not even something that's more innocuous like smoking. Sometimes it's something that hangs with us. I had a friend who, uh, when he was growing up, he grew up on a farm here in Kansas, and his dad asked him to back the truck up, back it down into this area to unload some hay for the cattle. And the truck slipped in the wash, and you know those little pegs that stick out of the post that you can hang a fence on? That caught right on the wheel well. And so the wheel couldn't touch the ground. He was 12 years old, and his dad walked over and slammed his hand into the side of the old pickup as hard as he could. And he said, this is what happens when you send a boy to do a man's job. And here he is in his 60s. And he still thinks, every time he messes up, every time something goes wrong, he still thinks to himself, foolish boy. Because that's the name that he carries with him. Those names hang with us. They hold on to us. They can shape our behavior. They can shape our choices. People named Charles are more likely to live in Charleston than not. How weird is that? We all think, oh, not me. I wouldn't be so susceptible to that. Research has shown over and over again, we tend to choose careers that match our names. We tend to choose careers that match our names. We tend to choose places to live that match our names. Our favorite words are based on the names and identities that we carry. It can hang with us for years. And for some of us, the names that we carry are pretty hard to shake. They kind of hang on. They penetrate some of our identity. We can see ourselves as that silly girl, foolish. There's some names that are even, even embarrassing to admit that we carry. Names that we wouldn't talk about. Nicknames that we wouldn't even joke about to friends and family. Because it's just too painful. It's just too much. So there's this writer in the New Testament who has something to say about names. His name's Paul. His name originally was Saul. And he had this dramatic conversion experience and he changed his name to Paul. And it changed everything about his life. Everything that was Saul got left behind as he became Paul. He used to be somebody that actively persecuted Christians and he became one of the biggest missionaries and church planners in the history of the world. He wrote a huge part of our New Testament. And this morning, we're going to look at one of his letters to one of those churches. Um, it's in the book of Ephesians, and it's a letter to the church at Ephesus. And so if you've got your Bible, your app, you can flip open. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. And again, this is a letter written to a group of people. And the church decided it was so important for us to hear that they hung on to it, that they began to pass it around to each other. They began to share it so that we could hear the words that Paul wrote. And so in this, he's been unpacking what it means to follow Christ, unpacking who God is. And starting in verse 14, he has this prayer. I'm going to scoot to the side here so I can, I'm not blocking it. So he starts this, he said, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Remember, this is a prayer in the middle of his letter, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that, so this is this why we should be strengthened, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all of the Lord's people to grasp how wide, long, high, deep is the love of Christ. Did you catch what he said at the beginning there? In verse 14, he jumps back, he says, for, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, so before God, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. When we hear names, we can sometimes think that names just identify somebody. They just help you to know, oh, that's TJ, that's David. That, those are who those people are. But the names in scripture really give shape to what something is for what somebody is for. You can see this all over the Old Testament. When somebody's given a name, it, their name has some sort of symbolic meaning as to what their life would be like, what their life is gonna unfold to. You see this in the life of uh, Naomi, whose name means bitter, that she is going to be somebody who is angry at God. And that's part of her story as it unfolds. Uh, you see it in the New Testament when Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter, which means rock. And he says, on you, Peter, on the teaching that you are gonna help spread, we're gonna build this whole thing we call the church. Names mean something in scripture. And the truth is they still mean something for us. Um, we still tend to see things uh, by their names. We tend to, tend to see the purpose of something by their name. We even talk about it in that way. When we talk about like to somebody who, it's somebody who has a hammer in their hand, everything looks like a what? Like a nail. We understand what that means. We understand that a hammer is for smacking and it's for smacking nails. We even know intuitively as to what that is. It's not just some random object that we select. When you talk about Goliath, that name means something to us. It changes the way our mouth moves. It changes the image that it invokes. And sometimes you'll see a little tiny dog named Goliath and it's like, oh, look how funny this is. We named our chihuahua Goliath. We're so unique. If you have a chihuahua named Goliath, I'm sorry if I just made fun of you. Or we'll name our giant dog, our big mastiff Goliath. But the one that's super weird is when you name your, your just middle of the road, your beagle Goliath. It's like, well... I don't know if he's really a Goliath. I mean, maybe a Caesar, but I don't know about Goliath. That seems like the wrong name for that dog. Because when we give something a name, we give it a purpose. We give it an identity. And what Paul is saying is that for each of us, the name that we carry comes from God. Now, this is a part that may strike you as odd, but I think it's true nonetheless that it doesn't matter who you are, you belong to God. That your name is a child of God. It's if you've said yes to Jesus and have been following him for years, you belong to God. If you're here this morning and you're pretty sure this stuff is all made up, but you're here to appease a friend or a family member, I still believe that you are a child of God and belong to God. And the question is, what will we do with our name? Will we let it change how we live? Will we let it change how we shape ourselves? And will we begin to change 
how we view ourselves. I think that's one of the biggest challenges is to let yourself change, to let yourself let some of those labels slip off, um, to let some of those identity pieces that hang on to us carry into adulthood. There are names that I had as a kid that are hard to shake. I remember sitting in the corner of my assistant principal's office and my mom and dad were talking to him. His name was Mr. Littleton. And my parents said, we think he's dyslexic. And Mr. Littleton said, ha, dyslexia. That's not a real thing. It's just an excuse for lazy kids. Man, that, boy, that got its teeth into me. That is hard to shake. And like, as I, as I grew up, as I spent time, um, as I realized that just, I'm just not going to be able to spell. That's just never coming to me. Um, I hung on to maybe it was something wrong with me. Maybe it was something that was defective in me. Maybe it wasn't something that was biologically wrong, but a character trait it was who I was. Maybe yours isn't something as silly as dyslexia. Maybe it's something far more damaging. Maybe an adult in your life, an uncle, a family friend who was supposed to be there to protect you, harmed you. And that title, that name keeps creeping in. That identity keeps showing up. It keeps being a part of who you are, whether you want it to or not. You keep thinking, oh, I've left that behind. I was just a kid. I didn't know any better. I didn't know who to tell. I didn't know what to do. There it is, just below the surface. I think that's the tough part when you, talk, when it's, when you talk about this, is how do you shake those bad names? Those names, party girl. That's fun when you're in college. When you become an adult, those memories, they can haunt you. That identity can haunt you. And so how do you leave it behind? I think a huge part of this, every time you pray, every time you pray, every time you sit down for dinner, every time you pray, sitting in the ER waiting for somebody, every time you pray, I truly believe you should thank God that you are a child of God, that the people around you are children of God, whether they want it or not, because I think that changes how we see ourselves. I know it changed how I see myself that that is a part of my identity. It's where my identity flows out of. And it gives so much freedom when you can see yourself rooted in that space. That you're not marked by failure and disappointment, but you're marked by who God made you to be. That's the first principle. That you are a child of God. That is your name. Paul says something else in this passage that I think is huge. Let's start back in verse 14. I want to see if you catch it. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that you, out of his glorious riches, may strengthen uh, you with, your, with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in, uh, in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. Did you catch it? 
He says, you, together with all of God's holy people, that for us to know how wide, how deep, how high, the whole breadth of God's love, we need you. You need us. That this isn't something that we get to figure out on our own. This isn't something that gets to just be shaped on our own. But instead, we belong together with all of God's holy people. And this is the part that I think is so strange for us. Because we tend to live in a culture in which we're not connected. To be honest, we're just not very good at being friends as adults. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to hang out. We don't know how to visit. Um, we had friends not long ago that stopped by for dinner. Uh, they were coming over to dinner at our house. They were coming over on Monday night, uh, but they came over on Sunday night. And so we had to scramble and figure things out. And, and I said, hey, I'm so sorry we didn't have dinner ready, but uh, you know, we got confused on the night, but I'm so glad you're here. You know, that was our bad. And they texted us later. I'm like, we're so mortified that we came over and it was the wrong night. We're so embarrassed that we, we looked at our calendar and realized we were just mistaken. Think about what that means for a second. Some of our best friends are the people we call when our kids had to go to the ER to come and sit with our other children. The people that are some of our closest friends in the entire world feel bad popping by. They felt bad showing up to our house. They felt like an inconvenience. And I think that's part of our struggle here is we belong together in order to know the, wet, the width, the breadth, the depth of God's love. And yet we don't know how to come together. We don't know how to fit together. We don't really want other people there. Some of us come just a few minutes late to church so we don't have to say hi to too many people because it's just too much. Some of us, we walk through the grocery store. Maybe I'm the only one. We walk through the grocery store with earbuds in and nothing's playing, but we just don't want to talk. We just don't want to talk. I know I'm not the only one because I can see people elbowing. It's tough because we live in this culture in which we are so individual but God has made us to do life together, to serve, to love, and to be together. And here's what I want to ask you. This isn't for you. This isn't for your sake. This is for my sake. Even more importantly, this is for my kids' sake, for them to know the width, the breadth, and the depth of God's love. They need you. They need you to show up, to be present, to be around. And I know it's uncomfortable sometimes and I know it's hard, but they need you. As a child of God, they need you. There are people who don't know that they belong to God. There are people who are gonna be showing up on campus over the next couple of days uh, who do not know that they belong to God. They're going to come in with all kinds of labels, all kinds of pressure, and they need you in their lives, whether you know that or not. And you may think, oh, they don't need me. Listen, listen, I hear you preaching up there, but I'm a failure. I'm a disappointment. I've let people down. You should know my story before you say somebody needs me in their life. Doesn't matter. 
That is part of what Paul is saying here. That is part of the idea that he's getting to. That God who can do immeasurably more if we will allow him to show up. If we will walk with him and his people. And so today, in closing, I want to get to the last part of this passage because I think it's huge. So he has... So he says, uh, they may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. All of God's people fit together to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge. That you may be fulfilled to the measure of all fullness. That God is going to fill you up with this power, this identity, this love that is so much more than knowledge. That's so much more than facts and figures. It's so much more than the labels and identities we've been given. Then Paul, he takes all of this and then he takes it to 11. And he said, now to him, remember this is a prayer, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is in work within us collectively, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This God who calls you his children, this God whose family you belong to, this God who is going to show up and change everything, who is going to be known because of the people of God gathered together, he can do more than you can ask more than you can imagine, more than you could hope for. And this is the part that's probably hard for me and my skeptical heart. Because I can sit back and think, well, I can imagine a lot. I can imagine all kinds of things. But the truth is, my imagination just isn't that interesting. I can sit and think about, man, what would it be like if dinosaurs were around again? We've learned so much about dinosaurs. They have feathers Did y'all know that? Dinosaurs had feathers? It's crazy. Wouldn't it be cool if we could see some dinosaurs? That is such a little idea. Because what what Paul is talking about here is transform lives. It's justice. It's love and grace in the places where you didn't expect it. It's freedom and forgiveness and reconciliation to relationships that you didn't think could be reconciled. People who are enemies become friends. People whose identities were rooted in success, were rooted in the drive, shift. And their identity becomes rooted in generosity. Life change. That is part of what Paul is talking about. Paul is sitting here as somebody who helped to murder and imprison Christians and is now starting churches. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about, oh man, imagine what it would be like if you could see something really cool. Imagine what it would be like if things were just easy. What Paul is talking about is imagine what the world would be like if it was the way it was supposed to be. Because we can all look around and say the world shouldn't be like that. When parents have to bury children, we all instinctively know that's not right. It shouldn't be that way. When heartache shows up, we can all look around and say, that doesn't belong there. And what Paul is saying, absolutely, 
And if you can just step into this, this identity that God has given you, this call that God has placed in your life, it will change everything. And so what I want you to do is we're wrapping up here. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to tell him, say, you're a child of God. Now turn to your neighbor, tell him, say, you're a child of God. Now I want you to turn to your other neighbor, the one you really like, and tell him, you're a child of God. This is who we are. This is what we're called to. Not those identities that you came in here with. Not those labels that you came in here with. Not failure. Not lazy. Not stupid. Not silly boy. Not foolish girl. But a child of God. Would that be what you leave here with? This week, as you begin to pray, would that be what you pray? God, thank you that I'm a child of God. If you're here this morning and you said, man, I don't know about this. I don't know about how do, how do, you, how do we begin to be together so that we can know this. I think one of the ways is just showing up, just being around, just being present, coming to church on Sunday, making that a priority. Maybe finding a place to serve is the key for you. Maybe finding somewhere to get plugged in, somewhere to help out. Uh, here at New Life, there's a, we've got great partners, as David was talking about. You can help out with the, the race uh, for freedom. There's all kinds of places where you can get plugged in to serve. Finding a place to, to, begin to begin to serve is huge. Maybe you need to be in a group. Maybe you just need to get a group of people together and to begin to open up some scripture, maybe begin to spend some time together talking about life, talking about parenting. Parenting is hard. Honestly, if the hardest part was naming them, it would just be smooth sailing. And maybe it's just getting together with some folks and begin to ask those questions like, what do I do? What do I do when my kid says this? What do I do when my kid says that? What do I, how do I handle this? But finding a way to group together, to be in life together. I don't know what that looks like for you. Um, I'm gonna be in the back. I'd love to talk with you about that, about how to say yes to Jesus, how to begin to incorporate this identity. If you're here this morning and you don't believe and you're like, man, does this even apply to me? Absolutely, absolutely. I'd love to talk with you about how this fits together, what it means to follow. But you belong to God. Your identity is rooted in him. It's not in who you are. It's not in what you've done, but it's in who he's made you to be. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much for this group of people who've gathered together, who've come together to follow you, who've come together to begin to see what it means to say yes to you. God, I thank you that this is a community rooted in radical generosity, that service and giving is at the very core of who we are, that radical love is a part of this community, that everybody belongs. God, whether they know it or not, I pray as we begin to move through the world this week that we would begin to see our identity as your children. That God, the people we interact with, the people who are trying so hard to play a part, to live out an identity that they've been given by somebody, would we see that they really belong to you? God, would you help us as your people to gather together, to come together serve, to know, to love, so that we can begin to fathom the width, the breadth, the depth of your love. That that could begin to penetrate who we are and what we do. God, I pray that for our community, not just 
for my sake, not just for the sake of those adults in this room, but God, for the sake of the kids who are in kids' life this morning. God, that they would grow up as a part of a church that sees them as valuable, that teaches them who God is and who God's made them to be. God, we thank you so much for all that you're doing. God, I pray that you would give us imaginations to see what justice could look like, what forgiveness and reconciliation could do. God, what healed and restored relationships could be. God, eyes to see the world what it could be. God, for what it should be. A place where life reigns. Father, we pray all this in the name of our King, Jesus. Amen.